Welcome to Lavasa Sports. I'm Mirai Hosea. I'm Lance Falatongo. And here we look at sports through a South Pacific lens. I'm all about sweating the technique. I'm more about the data. Today's show, as always, sponsored by LevasaIslandApparel.com. For gear that represents the South Pacific Island languages and cultures accurately and responsibly. Put on for the culture. Catch the wave at LevasaIslandApparel.com. And our guest today has a master's in multicultural education, Sac State double major in education and psychology. She's a current PhD student at the University of Hawaii, the founder of Brown Girl Woke, which helps Pacific Island youth speak and process through taboo issues, community role model, social justice advocate, and big sis, Maluseu Doris Tulifau. Welcome to the program, Doris. <laughs> What's up? I was like, am I supposed to be cheering? <laughs> what's up everybody <laughs> hey we're definitely we're definitely going to be cheering for you uh also joining us uh forrest don't allow forrest how you doing brother i'm good man good to be here again uh always fun to be here with you guys and i get to see doors <laughs> we're, we're in the uh we're in the lab with a, a legend right now someone who's definitely doing a lot of good things um and we have uh the blessing that you and eri are uh, brother and sister you guys grew up together. It makes sense, huh? It makes sense. <laughs> I see it. I see it. And Eri's going to get us uh, kicked off. Oh, yeah. So the first question, we just want to figure out uh, the origin of Brown Girl Woke. What inspired you? What motivated you to um, not only start the work, but maintain that work? I definitely, I was doing this during university and I was never under any nonprofits. I was just going under... Um, you know, the institution, um, something that we should be going against, you know, another, another white man prison, you know what I mean? So as I was doing the work, I didn't want to, I learned during the time that if I was with one NGO that was PI, that I could only be with them. There's too much gatekeepers in our community where like, even though we're awesome one in Tonga and Pali, we always want to be with, you know, represent only one organization or one community. I mean, one church, you know, that kind of ideal or your family. So I didn't want to be like that. So instead, I just stayed in the university and made all these different nonprofits uh, help fund um, promoting higher education for Pacific Islanders. As I got out of university, I couldn't use that anymore. And I also wanted to make sure that all the work I did, um, I was the front line for it. I was giving credit to the institution, like I said before, when it was me doing the, the footsteps, you know what I mean? It was me doing the footwork. So um, it's scary to put stuff like that on you because then you become a leader and then you also become someone that everybody um, goes to, which isn't easy when you when you can't save everybody. So mm-hmm. um, definitely Brown Girl Woke was also started because I also didn't want it to, want it to be named a Pacific Islander organization. I wanted something that encompassed mm-hmm. what I grew up on. I didn't grow up with hella Samoans, you know what I mean? I grew up with Black, Mexican, Natives, Asian, everybody. And I didn't want people to feel like they didn't weren't part of it. I mean, I'm sure we've all been in poly clubs and your your Mexican friend was like, I don't feel like I want to be in the club because, you know, I ain't, I ain't Samoan enough. You know what I mean? You always have that one friend that doesn't feel, feels weird going to the club, but is the most supportive. You know, the one that always donates. You know, they always say, get that white friend because they'll, they'll get you out of jail. You know? <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? They're the most supportive. So I wanted to make sure that anyone could come into Brown Girl Woke that, that was woke. You also don't want to just put people like, on the spot, just like your PI and your university student, you should be in my club and you should represent. I don't want people that that don't know what they that what their intentions are. You also want people that that have intentions to do this work. So 
Uh, Brown Girl Woke started with me. A few of my friends are immigration lawyers. Uh, I have a lot of family that are undocumented. I didn't know until I got to the university that we had these like dream act, like we had these things from the other communities that we could have used for our own family or our own community, but we didn't. So that's how Brown Girl Woke started. Woke came from the Trump administration when they were deporting so much uh, Pacific Islanders back home to Samoa and Tonga. And um, just from there, just kept going. I just wanted to make sure that there was a space for us, like any girls, we're always looking for a lot of PIs to, that's doing this work. Well, if you are if you have the same vision as me, hit me up. And again, you don't have to be PI, just have the same vision as us, undocumented as all of us, you know what I mean? And if your community, like the Mexican community or any other community got more game than us, please teach me so I could teach our, our people. Mm, exactly, getting that information and sharing it and, and sharing those uh, the path to those resources with everybody so that everyone can use them. But definitely something that we're about here uh, launching this podcast is trying to get information from people like yourself that have that grassroots, you know, boots on the ground level experience of doing things and helping others kind of follow that blueprint. Um, another thing about Brown Girl Woke, you talk about doing the works. What are, what are some of the community works that you've been able to do? So a lot of, I mean, the background of Brown Girl Woke is also, um, you know, all the taboo issues that are happening in our community and that's relevant. Um, you know, I'm a survivor of domestic violence and sexual abuse. And I always got to make sure that I say that because there's so much of us that are still in those spaces that don't know how, don't know who to go to. And as I've been here for like a few months, I still get hit up from everybody like, hey, Doris, what's the contacts, you know, in LA or Utah and Washington? And it's like, why am I still the, the face for this when I live in Samoa now? Like, are we not mm. having enough of our people doing this work? So um, not only do we promote about, you know, speaking out on domestic violence and sexual abuse and taboo issues, we also promote a lot of our work on making youth to lead projects because they're the next generation. Like we already mm -hmm. know, we, you know I mean? A lot of us feel burned out. Like, hey, we couldn't change what happened. Um, I'm wearing a shirt. Uh, me or I just made it ends with yes. us. <laughs> um, and this comes from, you know, um, from some of a lot of people uh, or generations before us that didn't speak out. And you see it still trickling down generations and next generation to next generation. And uh, to make sure that it ends with us, it doesn't need to keep going. And we've sacrificed enough of our people to not for this, like, this ugliness to keep going. So um, it's been like a, a saying that we keep trying to say, and we're hoping that it goes out. It's a campaign that ends with us. Doesn't need to go any further. I was on another podcast yesterday and they were like, how do we heal our elders? And I was thinking, dang, imagine if they never spoke and they see it keep going and going and going, how much pain it is for them because they could have stopped it. And that's how I feel. I didn't say enough. Or, you know, maybe some of my friends or my cousins that are in the same situation or my generation that didn't say anything and, and seeing it keep on going, just thinking to ourselves, damn, I could have said something, but we didn't. So hopefully, you know, this, this goes out and people are like, it ends with me. I'm not going to let it go any further. And having these conversations, especially when we think um, not talking about it, it won't happen to the next generation, but we need to talk about it so it doesn't happen. That's a that's a good point. Talking about it, Forrest uh, on uh, the episode episode six where we interviewed Forrest, he talked about um, some works in American Samoa uh, with Tamiano Gur and, and some of the events that they're holding. 
Uh, Forrest, what are what are some of the stuff uh, that you know is happening in Samoa to help people communicate and talk through those issues? Uh, like you said, Tamiano and his girlfriend, they're doing a really great job with, uh, they have something called prom and uh, they have people come out. It's like a slam poetry uh, night that they have. Have you been, Doris? I know you work with uh, Tamiano. Yeah, no, no, I haven't. Uh, we worked together when I was doing the stuff in the schools. But okay. when I left and they started doing the proms again. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's a way for all the youth to get out there and um, express what they're feeling without being judged by, like you say, your family or the people in your community. I mean, because Doris touched on it too. I watched some of her interviews. Uh, it's always our cultural way to sweep things under the rug instead of address them. And Doris also said that in our culture, we're not representing, we're not representing just ourselves. You're representing your whole family. So it's always like, uh, I don't want to embarrass my family. But um, Tamiana is doing a great job of, the kids are able to write what they need to write and get out there and express it in music and poetry. Or sometimes the kids just need somewhere to talk and he's giving them that, uh, that venue to do so. And Eri also, did you run a slam poetry uh, contest for a class? Uh, yeah, that was uh, my junior, senior year, leading into my AmeriCorps year. Yeah, I was just volunteering at a local continuation school, which is super random. But um, yeah, I would do like, it would be uh, like an elective. You know I mean, if kids were already doing good and they were already established classes, they could do an extra creative writing class where I could help them out with any of their like college admission essays, apps, or just with any essays that they were turning at the time or their creative pieces, which was super dope because the end of my senior year, I, we did a slam at that high school. And it was like the first time the kids from the regular high school had met. I don't want to say the at-risk youth or the troubled kids, but it was the first time they met each other and realized, hey, we got this in common. Your poem was dope, which was, that was a, that was a dope, uh, it was a dope experience in college. Super, I didn't know what I was doing though. That was super, hey, yo. You never know. Right. You never know. That's, That's what I'm saying. Out, <laughs> yes. We never know, know until we got doing. money and it's like, oh, shoot, money got, oh, you got to do a little stuff for this. <laughs> <laughs> we see you guys are uh, definitely related, doing similar uh, community works through these these similar engines like creative works and and helping uh, kids speak out. Doris, like, what are, what are some of those events like? Is it uh, kids just in their villages or is it like a gathering of different people talking? What, what are so, I, like? so I work in American Samoa and Samoa. So I do similar things to Tamiano, except I'm in the schools. So I go into the schools mm. and I work with the English teachers. I also um, have been able to train English teachers from high school all through American Samoa on looking at red flags, especially journal writing. And, you know, one big thing about American Samoa is I don't know why this is instead of them, I guess because they're still trying to figure out the levels of education. But journal writing is huge uh, for English classes in Samoa, like instead of essays and things like that. But, you know, we won't talk about. <laughs> but journal writing is is huge. And a lot of the teachers were messaging me and saying that they were reading about their their students talking about suicide and talking about, you know, issues that they didn't know how to um you know, how to talk to them about, especially when we, again, talk about our culture, we usually like tell their parents that we already know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? We know our own people. They're going to get fussy. You know what I mean? Um, mm. If they're going to get, they might get beat. 
instead of um, communicate, um, they might be taken out of the school because their parents don't want them to, you know, anyone to know about what's happening. So one of the uh, biggest things for me is like, if we know these things, then why don't we have a cultural like um, approach in the schools already? Like, you know what I mean? There should be systems already. And when I always ask kids, like when I go into the schools all over American Samoa and Samoa, I always ask the kids, well, what happens if you, if you, if you feel some, like, if you don't feel safe, what do you do? And they're like, we don't tell nobody. And I was like, why don't you tell your teacher? Or There's no counselors in American Samoa to Samoa. There's no counselors in the schools. You know what I mean? There's nothing like that. So like in America, we have counselors. We could go to our counselors, but we don't have that. So when you know that, I mean, nothing's going to happen. Or they even have the idea like, eh, if I say something, nothing happens. So, you know, and it, it's word of mouth. All the kids figure out like, eh, nothing's going to happen. I'm still going to stay in the same, you know, no, nobody's going to help me. So definitely if we know these things, I, I always promote like, at least have a teacher that they could go to. Like, can we just have one teacher? Can we get one funding to help one teacher in the school or a teacher for each grade? that they can go to. Yeah, a position. There's too much funding coming into American Samoa and Samoa not to have this. You know what I mean? It mm. drives me insane. Like, how do we not have enough money? We we pay for people from, um, you know, teachers in American Samoa to go to school at UH to get degrees. Why are we not making sure they're getting degrees? They're going to help us with the suicide rates. In American Samoa, it's almost 12 youth suicides and 18 in Samoa from last year to this year during the pandemic. And I've seen a lot of, you see a lot of churches going to the schools. Um, you see a lot of the communities standing up and trying to make sure that, you know, the kids got someone to talk to. But again, it starts at the home. You know, again, your first teachers are your parents. And if, if your home is not safe and they're, they're not teaching you and you're just getting, you know, people coming into the schools and leaving, it's not enough. It has to be in, like, you have to go to the homes and we have to figure that out. So um, as I'm doing this work, uh, we don't have the resources. We don't have therapists on the island. In American Samoa, there's probably two. Dr. Etta, big up to them and their task force on the suicide in American Samoa. Um, and in Samoa, we only have one as well. Imagine having so much different intergenerational people in a country and you only have one therapist. And it might not even be a therapist for, you know what I mean? Like on mental health, it might be a whole nother thing. So. Mm. We definitely need uh, more resources. And for me to teach the youth is for them to be their own resource. You know what I mean? If we can't blame it and it's so easy for us. We're like, oh, well, we only have one therapist and we just like blame it on that one person or blame it on the government instead of just teaching who's around us because that person is going to teach somebody, that person is going to teach their family. And that's it. It's, it's definitely communication and making ourselves an advocate. Like, you don't have to be me. You don't have to be someone that's going out there and speaking up. But we're all part of this. But you can know the resources. Like, if somebody is going through something, hey, call this number, 211 in American Samoa. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just know what's going on. Be woke. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, no, I, I, I really agree with that. Uh, we're the answer thing. You know what I mean? It's like a, you can only you can only witness something for so long before realizing you have enough power to change it, but I'm going to do whatever I can to change it. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to get, you're going to get whoever's with you. And it's uh, got to kind got to have that kind of tunnel vision with it. And it's a, uh, it's super tough. Cause um, I know you were saying earlier that like, you know, you get 
burned out. Our generation gets burned out when it comes to what we haven't done. You know what I mean? We're thinking so much about what we haven't done that we don't even muster up enough courage to make the next move forward, right? Um, what are some of the... What are some of the biggest obstacles, I guess you would say, that you've run into starting the nonprofit, working it, um, it, it out here in the States and Samoa? What are some things that like somebody who, who'd want to do a new community project or start a new nonprofit? What are some things that you're like, hey, man, like uh, this is not going to be easy. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, I think because I kind of grew up in nonprofit world. So I kind of seen like the snakes and I kind of see our people always working with the snakes. And it's like, why do we keep working with the people that steal money? You know what I mean? Why do we keep on having the same people in our church? We're going to have this fool be the treasurer and he stole money how many years and we still elect him? You know what I mean? So That should disqualify you. <laughs> but I'm saying when we do this work, especially for our community and specific islanders, we think we're so small that we could only work with them because they're they've been doing the work. And even though this fool's a snake, he's in all the circles. It's like, no, that's toxic. <laughs> Cut it off. If we're not changing, you know, what I mean, our youth and our generation, or even my generation to next, we're not dumb. We see it. And then if we see you with the snake, we're gonna think you a snake too. So how do we got to change it up? Like, I think my biggest uh, for me, like, um, and a lot of like nonprofits know, I think they, with my, with having Brown Girl Woke, I think they were just like, okay, Doris is going to, Doris is legit. Cause we know that she speaks her mind and she's very clear. And I think I made sure for my organization that I didn't want to see like what happened with all the other Pacific Islander organizations or, you know, church is an organization. You know what I mean? I didn't want to see, um, the same thing happening with the people stealing money and then they don't have no more organizations anymore. I wanted to change. So I think again, like making sure like, even though these are the same people at the same meetings, you don't have to work with them. You know what I mean? You don't mm -hmm. have to like sit at the same table or you can sit at the same table, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll just know. And then just be about it. Cause I've sat on tables and, I've I've been um, asked to be in in conversations with a, another organization that I didn't like, and I and I told them straight up, like I'm not working with them. They're toxic because you also got to think about these people are going to speak to the next generation, and if you don't trust them and believe in them, then why would you like advocate for another fool? You know what I mean? So um, the biggest deal with nonprofit, especially with Pacific Islanders, is like making sure that if you're going to do this alone, do it alone. It's not easy, but if you're trying to make sure that you want something that's going to change the world, work with everybody and work with people that have the, like I said before, that have the intention and the vision to change. And it doesn't only have to be our people. Again, we, we find support everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, my friend, like the people that support me in Samoa, they're not all Samoan. Like my grant writer is from, from Trinidad. You know what I mean? Like, oh, damn. I got Rihanna, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I'm I'm being honest. Like I think that was the I think because I started late, I feel that and and I and I've been in nonprofit for so long. I already seen what I knew that was going to be hard for me and the hardest. And I was like, okay, I'm not working with this person, this person, this person because they haven't. They're they're toxic to our to our community and generation. Um, a positive is that you're going to meet amazing people. You know, what I mean, you're gonna um, if you're new to nonprofit or with the Pacific Islander community, you're going to meet people that have been doing this work for 40 years and you're just gonna wanna be better. Like that's what happened with me. Like, man, 
auntie and uncle have been doing this 40 years, the groundwork, what's our next vision? Like we need to start having legislation. Like we need people in Congress to make sure that they fight for us when we're when we need to. Uh, I was talking about this. I work with the Samoan deportees in in Samoa, and when they said that they got when they got deported, it was a group of them. There was also a group of Mexicans. There was a group of Filipinos, and all their like you know everybody that's a congressperson, that's a lawyer, that's an organization was out there fighting for them. But for our PI community, they're like nobody and they went straight to Samoa and we had we had people deported that went to like freaking war they were in Afghanistan like three trips you know what I mean like you did that all that for our country for them to kick you out and no fight so I forget what we're talking about I'm just going back to the nonprofit work work with the people that you know that's gonna be your safety net don't fuck around because you're trying to change the system. You're trying to change like our whole community. And it hasn't, if it's not, it haven't been working, then I hope you're doing this to make it work.'t be doing this just because you think it's easy. Like, oh, I want to do community work. It looks easy. <laughs> it, definitely, <laughs> it definitely is not. That's also another thing we wanted to ask you to prepare people that are getting ready or believe they want to do community work. What is the, the mental and emotional capacity? needed for someone on your level to hear all the Pacific Islander families uh, needs and like and struggles how can you prepare people for for that part of the job like I said before with like um, our generational curses nothing is new in our community we all know what's happening in our community we all know you know what needs to be spoken now taboo issues it's for us to be the bigger person and understand that there is stories stories behind this. Be empathetic. Like, you know, this person that's coming to you that, you know, I'm telling you, I must get at least 100 emails a day for somebody that's hungry, somebody that needs clothes, somebody that needs money. It definitely pops up on my feed all day. And then I won't get back to it until nighttime and I just, you know, assess it. You know, the people that are just using you is like, oh, bro, you just trying to. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You're just trying to get a free meal. It's just being real with yourself and the person like give, choose your battles wisely because it definitely will burn you out if you if you try to say yes to everything. So anybody that does community work, you there's so much different uh, spaces for you. You don't always have to be like the, you know, the, the person that speaks out. You can also if you're good at IT, if you're good at different things, we need all of that to do this work. I'm not by myself in Brown Girl Woke. I'm the face of Brown Girl Woke, but I have IT people, social media person. If I didn't have a team with me, then I wouldn't be able to do this work. So um, especially, you know, when you say the, uh, the mental capacity of doing this work, it, it isn't easy. And I think we've been doing this for so long. If you grew up, yeah. if you grew up someone, you, you've been doing stuff for free and getting beat up for no reason. You know what I mean? You already, I remember... <laughs> I remember crying. I remember uh, my first uh, Pacific Islander conference and um, one of the Tongan teachers uh, emailed me and he said that I was so unorganized. Mind you, I went to him for help. He never helped me, right? And like, no one really helped me. And I remember him emailing me and he was like, tell me everything I did wrong. And I was crying so hard. And I remember my cousin, big up to Rex in San Francisco um, for being there for me. He started the TOA fraternity. It was the first PI fraternity. Nice. He looked at he looked at me and I was crying and he was like, why are you crying? And I was like, well, because, you know, this is a teacher and he's like, 
this is my first conference. And he said everything was wrong. And he was like, girl, you do you cry at church? Because I swear we'd be doing everything at church and we get yelled at and you don't cry. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? We grew up, I mean, in our culture for this kind of work that we're always giving, giving, giving and get still get yelled at. They'll still find some kind of fault. Even though you were like, damn, I swear I did A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> but they still find something. So um, I, I swear this is for um, community work is what we've learned our whole lives uh, as, as Samoans, especially if you grew up in church or if you grew up for a Samoan period. We're always giving. We're always respectful. We're always trying to figure out how we're going to take care of everybody. And Force touched on it when I talk about uh, taboo issues like we don't speak out because we're always not thinking about you know the individual but we're thinking about our, we're representing our family our village mm. our church so when something happens to you you have to sacrifice yourself and there's power to that i always tell victims and survivors like mm. man there's so much power from you sacrificing yourself the same thing as we go to it ends with us we don't need no more sacrificing there's been enough like you talked about uh for to address the youth suicide in Samoa, in American Samoa, to have a kind of a network of close friends or a teacher, uh, someone that you trust and can talk to. What what are some other ways that uh, people can find trust in you know others, or what are some other systems? Definitely, I'm not. I'm I'm going back to because we. I just did a workshop recently with my my youth on like safety people and. Um, who to talk to and like mind you a lot of these young kids they can have a safety network but the people they think is safe might not be safe you know what i mean no, so we gotta not. talk about the basic like what do you think good character and bad character is you know what i mean because you know like a, like anything like you gotta can't assume you gotta go all the way to the basic even though you feel like dang your parents didn't teach you don't even go there we're, we're talking about trying to you know break this cycle so talk about everything to the very beginning like with my my youth recently when i did a workshop um i asked them do they know what good characteristics are or bad or do they know what a good friend is you know what i mean because we grew up again like some of us grew up very toxic and you you think you're not teaching your 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 little brother and little sister but they're gonna think it's okay you know, to have friends like that. They're like, man, my brother Forrest was with all these gangsters. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And they were always there for them. They always ride with him. So definitely, definitely just teaching, not stop teaching. Like, again, we don't have resources in, in American Samoa and Samoa. So making sure when they do have a safety net, go even further. Like, why are these people your safety net? Do they know how to speak? You know what I mean? Do they know how to not trigger you or even make you in any worse situations? And we we, we have a billion systems in our village. So it doesn't make sense to me. Like the saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. In a village, we have the Matai system, the church system, the woman community system, your family. You know what I mean? Like, how is it? We have all these different things, yet we're still losing our kids. And then it's from there, those systems that we need to we need to start speaking to, especially church. And if if all of us go to church, and we know this, if all of us go to church, we treat it like a hospital. You know what I mean? We're broken. Not all healed people go to church, right? <laughs> I mean, I go to church when I'm like, oh my God, I need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being real, like, you know what I mean? So like if a lot of our communities like that and they go to the church to be healed. And we don't talk about the relevant issues 
And then how can they really be healed? You know what I mean? Because I have a lot of people that go to church and just say, what did you do when this happened? Oh, I went to church and what happened at church? Well, I prayed about it. We need to be more than that. You know what I mean? We need, if we know that, and five hours know that. And I see new five hours and new followers doing these conversations. In Samoa, um, there, there have been like five hours and followers going and becoming counselors to nonprofits on talking about this. So, you know, all we, we have the system set up. We just don't want time for, you know, to heal our community because we don't think it's the first thing that we need to do. It's almost like we want broken systems because that's all we, a generation of generation of that. Like, it's scary. If we're healed, then what happens? You know what I mean? <laughs> I if can't things talk about go you, right. you know what I mean? Right. You ain't getting money from me if I'm healed. That's what people assume. Just like, you know, when me and you I talk about this, like furthering your education, a lot of our people are scared, not because to further your education, but the how long it takes to um, invest in somebody to go back into school and then come back and take care of your parents. We're looking for that paycheck to paycheck life. You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. quick money. So definitely our community, we know what the problems are and we know what systems that we have that will work. We're just not trying to change it because we're so used to it for so long. Yeah. Breaking generational curses. Breaking generate the man. same ones. You know what I mean? Mm. Also a little scary for the youth back home because I mean, like you said, a lot of people go to church to be healed when in fact a lot of the people that are doing the damage are hiding in church. You know, same with the school system. So I mean, I was a basketball coach and I coached girls. And my door was always open. I told them, you know, and I know a lot of parents were just they were worried. You know, I mean, I'm a grown man telling your daughter, you know, if you have problems, you can come and talk to me. I get that. But they would tell their friends and I would have girls who didn't play basketball that I didn't know would come and ask for help, you know, and I'd ask them, well, you don't have anybody else like at church or at, at, uh, at school. And it would be someone at the church or the school that's actually hurting them. So yeah. I know it's scary for the kids there. I mean, um, but you're right. We need more people in those institutions that are helping the kids instead of hurting them. Especially if we're there the most. I've, I've done a lot of surveys in Samoa and American Samoa in, in high schools. And I always ask them, you know, where their safety, where they feel most safe at, right? And I always put like family, church, village, or school. And they always put like, you know, church is like their safest place. And then their most unsafe place is school. They, they're there five days out of the week. Yeah. They're here. And I always tell them, I'm like, man, that's scary because you guys are here more than you are at anywhere else. Exactly. I mean, you're home at you're at home, but you probably go sleep. So if school is the most unsafe space and what's happening there, and a lot of kids in, in American Samoa and Samoa say they've had sex at school, they've done drugs at school, I mean they get bullied at school, like all these things happen at the school. Then I ask them, and they know the kids know what's wrong. And then I'm like, I'm a I'll reference to Tafuna. I said, how can we stop this? They're like, we only got one security. And it's the old lady. She's like, I don't know, 60, 70. I don't know, Forrest knows. She's heck oh, yeah, old. Yeah, she's, she's old. <laughs> I mean, she got, what does uh, she do? she got two by four. She walks around with her freaking. Oh, yeah. But, but she's the, taking but that even, role. Yeah, but even the kids know. You know what I mean? Like, what's the what the problem is? It's like, I feel, I feel like I'm like, do you really need me to come from America when you got so much people here that has this, right. you know what I mean? that can yeah. do this work, but sometimes you need someone outside to like, you know, do the work or put time to it. So yeah, definitely um, school and all these systems are not safe and we had to call them out. 
definitely. Like if it happened to you 20 years ago and you, you know, a teacher did anything to you, don't think it's not happening. It's still happening. And then when you see it, like I said before, like it ends with us and you see like finally someone speaks out, you're just like, yeah, that happened to me. And maybe I could have said something and it wouldn't went this far. Speaking out, speaking up. Hey, that's a, that's, that's a tough burden to bear, at least when you see it happen to the next generation. Right. Um, and that's also a question I, I always talk to my parents about, bro, is this how much of the culture is done out of obligation and not compassion, right? When you were saying that there's a Matai system, there's a Mafkankinga, Mafkankama, there's there's systems in the village already, right, that are meant to serve the people in the village. But then when those practices become like things that you're just going through the motions with, the compassion is lost, right? And so like you're not doing it for the next person. You're doing it because I bet, bro, we're all supposed to show up. You know what I mean? And like, that's a, that's a, man, that, that's tough. And you know that there's multiple systems in the village and you're like, yo, what, y'all, what are y'all doing this for though? Like, man, that's, that's a, that's really tough, right? Cause people don't have that self-awareness as far as whatever role they play in a certain community. You know what I mean? They're probably not even thinking of themselves as that impactful and really like, yo, bro, you're the Mafkan King. Like you're actually part of a women's group that can advocate for stuff. People do listen to, to the older women because, you know, like they, the only thing scarier than a mad small man is a mad small woman. You know what I mean? Like it's, you don't want to piss them off. Right. So it's like, how come, I don't know. It's a, it's like, man, you're right, though. Like the, all those systems are there. But what is y'all working for? It's definitely. For the they don't, yeah. And they don't connect with each other as well. Like I'll go into a village and um, if I'm talking to the village, that doesn't mean I'm talking to the church. You know what I mean? A village doesn't mean like they represent the church. church. There's a lot of different churches in the village, but there should be all one, right? It should yeah, be like when right. I go into like the village, I'm you, that person is representing everybody in the village, but no, everyone has become individual, like westernized, like, oh, I'm part of this and they're part of that. And we're not connecting. We're not talking to each other. And that's how we lose somebody because of that. We're already like, I'm doing this. You're doing that. I'm not a part of it. And also what we value as well our value system we we talk a lot about being like stereotyped in our lives or like uh, even by someone's ourselves putting uh, things into boxes and like oh that person's this so they must be in this box this thing feels like this so it must be in this box but on the flip side of that is also realizing that while we are unique human beings with our own emotions and feelings we are human beings in a community that have a bunch of shared connections that you know, uh, common connections that, that we can relate with each other to and, and build uh, stronger communities. Speaking of breaking generational curses, this is like the smartest way is to get into the laws of the land and advocate for what laws need to be uh, either written or changed. And I really want to talk about you running for parliament and being the future prime minister and being, <laughs> you know, a big time advocate to young women all across the Pacific and the world. Like you can, you can do the work and help people and just build up for the next generation. Uh, when did you decide you uh, wanted to run for parliament and what steps have you taken? So um, I knew when I first moved to Samoa that I wanted to go into parliament. So not, 
being a prime minister just go <laughs> but hopefully all the way <laughs> you're gonna be on part of it you might as well be the prime minister yeah right <laughs> so um uh the steps are like i found out when i first got there like how do you become how do you so in in samoa 2013 they passed a law where uh parliament has to have 10 percent women so from 2013 till now, and if you've been watching politics, it's been going crazy on the mathematics of <laughs> five. <laughs> what is uh, 10% of 50 and it's not five, it's it's apparently six. So <laughs> if you've been watching, <laughs> you've been watching anyways. Um, so- um, Round up to those, the nearest. Yeah, apparently- they, they um, do different math in parliament. <laughs> yes. They, well, they do different math on population. Yeah. So if it's past five, it's six. It's six. If you guys are watching now and you didn't read that, apparently that's how it is. Anyways. Anyways. So when I got to um, Samoa, I was asking those questions. Like, how do I get in there? Like, okay, well, they passed this law. There's only been five women since 2013. Like, there hasn't been more. Like, it's always what they gave us <laughs> the 10 percent yeah. and that that felt crazy to me like just because there's only 10 percent doesn't mean we just have to have 10 percent we can actually have half or all you know like, what I mean? just that, feeling that's a not a that's like, not a ceiling let's just give them the five yeah, <laughs> yeah like and yeah. It, that's not that's not the max right yeah <laughs> that's the minimum it, it like, yeah. but it felt like that's what women or you know the whole country thought like oh that's For all sure. we get only five we don't only need five women in there so I was like, oh, definitely, I, I want to run for parliament. And then you have to be, you have to have a title and you have to serve your village council for three years. So I actually finished that this year and then I'm getting a, a higher title at the end of this year just to make sure that I'm in the reins again to parliament. And then I haven't been doing a lot of stuff for my village um, only because I want to break that mindset that we have in Samoa, like, oh, she's going to give all her funding to her village. <laughs> it's going to you be for I mean? everybody. Right? But, right. you know, that's going to be the first thing people are going to think. They're just waiting for one of my programs to be, like, in her village and then be right. like, see, puts it to her village. So I haven't even helped my own village because of doing this work and trying to break that mindset that we only help ourselves. So it's also helping me um, when I, um, my next title to go give back to my village and not have those kind of, like I've done enough work in someone for them to know that I'm not only about my own pe my own village, I'm about everybody. So, I mean, just to add on to what you were saying, because Lance was saying, I mean, because you know the Maasai system is like an old boys network here. For sure. How, how hard is it for you to get things done when they look at you? I mean, basically uh, it's just another lady and it's just another title. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure it's pretty hard. Yeah, no, like right now, I'm just with my own family. So, you know what I mean? So it's, it hasn't been hard. Definitely when I get to that point where I'm running for office, I want to see myself sidelined. I'm going to see myself not even invited to the thing. You know what I mean? I can already yeah. see it prepared and not being oblivious. Like, oh, they let me in. You know what I mean? Don't keep your hopes up. Like, that's yeah. just it gotta be and I, I already been in situations and I'm, I'm happy that I do have my Thai title where I was supposed to speak at a huge event in Savai in front of all these blue news and you know women committee leader uh, representatives and before I spoke they were like oh do you have a title and then when I said you know what I mean and I was like yeah but I, I did at the time and they, just, were, they weren't even checking your credentials what they were doing yeah. was making sure that there was a way they couldn't make you speak like if there was a way that yeah. they weren't gonna allow you to speak yeah. Yeah, you would think oh that my gosh, man. our Bro. 
would have asked me before or the two weeks before I went there, but yeah. they got to sit on the mic, like, stop, look at me, you know what I mean? And be like, yeah. you have a like, we, we had like a whole like discussion and meeting about this. <laughs> and we were on the boat for two hours from Upolu to Silver. petty, bro. What? Right, that, that's what they were doing. They're, last minute, they were like, man, is, do we really have to let her speak? Let's ask her. Does she have a sign? <laughs> yeah. And it, I know it. It's just, again, being two steps ahead of the game. And we know our people are petty. You know what I mean? Like, it's just what it is. And I think when I went to Samoa, I was getting like no love. All the doors are getting closed. I was like, I'm leaving, Dad. I'm tired of this. I I did enough. I don't need to start over. I did enough work in Cali to come to Samoa and not be treated like this. And then you just go back to realizing to being the bigger person and knowing that they want you to earn it. You know what I mean? I'm at three years and everyone loves me. But trust me, they made me. I felt like Jesus walk. They made me sure I, I was on the cross. <laughs> Oh man, I'm telling you, like, I feel like that's how it is with Fasamoa. Like, you're never enough, and they're gonna test you through everything. And once mm-hmm. you finally get past something that lets you a little bit in, but just for your own self, you know right. what I mean? Be prepared. Mm. So, what, what village is a <laughs> what village? What village is home in Samoa? Um, so I live, I don't live in my village, so I live in Suisinga, which is like two villages away from where my villages are. So my mom is from Bayanga and Malia, and my dad's from Lipa, where the prime minister is from. Oh, Lipa. prime minister connections. Ooh. Lipa City. <laughs> <laughs> what do you um, reckon, American Samoa? <laughs> Ili Ili, both my mom and dad. Ah, baby. The Ah, baby. What is your spirit animal? <laughs> I was like, they're gonna ask me for another village, and I was ready. I was like, <laughs> is that a real question? That's a real yeah, question. question. <laughs> what my spirit animal is. I I've been hearing about spirit so much. I mean, because I almost went on spirit to to um I was telling um you right spirit to go to LA and I was like, nigga, I was don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I said that's why it's called spirit, because you don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> you turn into a spirit. Yep, don't do it. Don't do it. It was like, yo, $50 and I'm driving the plane. <laughs> I definitely would say I am a lion, I guess. Mm. Yeah. For, like, unfortunately, me, me and Forrest grew up together too. So, like, I've been through a lot and I've never let my guard down. Mm. I keep going. So, definitely. That's exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. A lioness all the way through. <laughs> like, it hasn't changed. Like, um, even, even though I kind of like, or I am still like a party person or whatever, like people see me in different settings. I'll be at the concert. I'll be with like, you know, I'll be with, you'll see me one day and with Fiji and like common Kings, and then I'll be doing community work. And then people just don't think those things go together, but it's like, we're all the same. We're all the same people. You know what I mean? It's just using our avenue to make sure that we, we talk about it at every level. And if, um, like we talk about using spoken word. We're people that are entertainers as well. We're not only that, but if we use entertainment a lot, we need to use that and it and it goes into your houses and you're listening to it and you know it's something that brings your family together, then why not use it to talk about taboo issues? Mm-hmm. Creativity. Yeah, so so we see Brown Girl Woke uh, is was an initiative to empower young men and women about uh, taboo issues in the culture, right? Um, but since you've been in Samoa, you've done so much more than that. 
were you expecting to play a bigger role or, you know, or were you trying to stay in your lane and realize how wide the lane is? Or did you realize that, you know what I mean? It's uh, so many things needed attention and bet I'm gonna do it all. Well, I, I did get wider. <laughs> <laughs> yes, two. <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, no, definitely. Like the intention's always trying to be better. Like I said before, when I talk about, you know, our PI community, especially in Cali, that's been doing the groundwork for 40 years and they're still doing the groundwork. I definitely always seen myself getting going higher because we need it. We're not there yet. Like, um, like Lance was talking about, we need to be in Congress. We need to have these spaces so we could change laws and policies. I'm not even there yet. So yeah, definitely as much as I've been doing more humanitarian work, it was never my intention just to stay, um, my intention is to stay in my work on what you call making sure youth are trained up, but definitely going, my lane is going higher and higher. And so we make sure that we have spaces that we're changing like these old laws. Like a lot of people don't know in Samoa, in American Samoa, they haven't changed the law since uh, colonialism. Like, you know, it's crazy. The deeds, I mean, one of the biggest things in American Samoa they talk about is, um, what you call it? What is it called? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the deed of sessions. Like, it hasn't been changed. They've been lost their lands. And we're still not doing something about it. The same thing in in Samoa. There's Until 2013, with the UN coming in, they just changed laws on child marriages. You know what I mean? On protection of rape. 2013, that isn't that far. You know, that's like, what? It's not even 10 years ago. Yeah. And with the yeah, these session is still ongoing. Yeah. I don't know why we're not talking about it. we think we're safe because ain't nobody looking at us. We're we're okay, we're islanders. We didn't already sacrifice so many of our people to the military. Hey, when they need the land, especially during this time and they need your harbor, we're gone. Yeah, you know yeah what exactly. But what what is that deed of deeds of session or deed session. of sessions? So uh, it's when uh the United States came back. <laughs> so a lot of it is misunderstanding for the younger people now. Uh, they don't know that. So what they were taught was that no one can buy land in Samoa unless you're of Samoan ancestry. But in the deed of session, it says that if, you, if you're if you an American citizen, you can come home and buy land. So, I mean, yeah. And what they- You don't what, have to what, be Samoan, you just have no. to be an American citizen? Yeah, and that, that, was, that was the lie people were told. So now there are lawmakers trying to change it, but then you also have the old people who are like, well, if you change it, they're going to take our funding. Yeah. You know? So they're so scared of like not being funded anymore by the government. And yeah. it's just like, I think about that with other communities, like, you know, with the Hawaiian community as well, when they try to like do solidarity and like go against, you know, being under the states. But you're going to take all your, you know, what I mean, yeah. all that American money, especially in American Samoa, too, where a lot of us go into military. We need those like we need the doctors, you know, what I mean, yeah. we need to get out and go to the hospital. So. There was also a big thing where people in the military uh, were trying to, what you call it, make uh, change nationals to citizens in in American Samoa. Again, it goes to get scary again. Then, you know, that makes uh, the land even more, you know what I mean? Like yeah. more like inviting to like come and take over. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things that a lot of us are not woke on just because no one's teaching us. Yeah. But then, and like we talked about earlier, we don't need people to teach us all the time. Freaking read a book. You know Amen. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you something, go back home. And um, that's my biggest thing. Because people always come up to me like, 
always trying to tell me what I should do, what I should, and I just let them talk it out. I'm like, oh, are you coming on this flight to Samoa? Oh, you're not? Okay, see all them seats <laughs> that you asked there. <laughs> <laughs> People that don't do work. Sit down. Gotta <laughs> say something, right? Like, they always are like, oh, you should have did this, you should have did that. And we're like, bro, I never even seen you, like, do anything but be a board warrior. So let's calm down. Until you do the work, then you'll understand more. Don't try to tell me how to do it when you haven't even tried. Yeah, yeah I haven't been there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not easy. Like, you think I didn't think about that, fool? Like, I've been there. <laughs> I didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> I was out there. <laughs> Definitely, if you didn't change into multiple lanes, your lane has grown into, uh, man, uh, uh, a super freeway because you're doing so much, you know, both in the community with the youth, uh, with families. Uh, tell us more about the the water tanks manufactured in Samoa. How do you pay for them? How do you get them out to the families? What? How important is that water to those families? So a lot of people, like I, I've been talking about this, a lot of people in America were like, how you don't have access to water when you live on an island with a lot of water? Oh my God. Yeah, we no. don't drink salt water. <laughs> That's not how it works, yo. <laughs> so funny. I was like, that, you know, it got to be our own people. You know what I mean? Like, for real. <laughs> like, man, you are hella Americanized. So, so are there a ton of families without uh, water? Are there a lot of families that, that don't have water? There's a lot of families that don't have access to water. So like the inland, um, people in the mountain, like away from water, or they, they're poor and they just have like, they live in between like villages that are not even theirs. And they're just making like, like a little house out of like cardboard. You know what I mean? Like what they, yeah. so if they, for us, it's, it's hard to do, to do water tanks because we also got to make something for it to be accessible to them. Because usually when you give a water tank, it's, it's on a house that's stable. You know what I mean? So right. then you put the pipe on it. So the water falls down on the roof and it goes into the tank. You know what I mean? But if you don't even have a house with a roof, then we had to figure it out. So we've been building little houses for the water tanks so that the water can go, so they can have water. And it's been hard because a lot of families that are poor just like think you have to think of it like homeless people they always move in so the water tanks can't move with you so it's been really hard because a lot of people are always messaging us that they need water we go to their families we know you need it but at the same time you're not even stable there you're going to leave and water tanks don't move because you build a base with the cement so it's not an easy task but we learned during the measles when um you know the hike of uh, 84 kids died during the measles epidemic mm -hmm. And when we went to all those families, we fundraised. So Brown Girl Woke fundraised like a lot of money to give at least $300 to each of those 84 families. And I got to go to meet all these people. And I'm telling you, almost every couple was late 20, early 30s, had more than three kids, um, were, you know, were poor and not living in anything that was stable. You know what I mean? And imagine during that time, they told you to isolate your kids you know, from the other kid, if they had um, music, how are you going to isolate when you're poor? You know what I mean? You know, leave and, them outside? Yeah, and leave them. And they, the biggest thing, um, I think everybody in American Samoa too, like hygiene was huge. How can you clean yourself if you don't have water? You know what I mean? How can you make sure that you're healthy if you don't drink water? And like, so um, even for myself, 
it's educating me because I was thinking, we're going to give them this water tank. How is it going to make sure that it's going to take care of them? So water tanks last 10 years, last a decade. And I literally watched the family use the same water to wash their dishes. Then um, well, she, she did her laundry, washed her dishes, and she either gave the water to her plants or to her animals. And I was like, dang, and here I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just think about yourself like, dang, I'll be over here taking hour showers and crying over hot water. <laughs> Chilling over getting burnt, just like, oh. Like, I'm over here. And they they make sure that they, they don't waste water. Like, I've seen the families make sure that they, they make the water last because it's a 2,000 liter tank. And like, if they share amongst themselves, you get scared that there's no, there's not going to be not, and a lot of water because it doesn't rain that much in Samoa. But we also hook up with another company that fills up those water tanks. And that's again yes. for me. I didn't know that until like people were complaining, like, "How are you going to make sure they got water?" I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> just like, you, are. you just, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't worry, I'll make it rain. Uh, does it ring that much, huh? It's hella hot. <laughs> I asked Jesus on Sunday. He said it's going to rain. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, yeah, definitely with the water tanks or anything that we were a part. I actually didn't want to do the water tanks at first because I knew we didn't have the capacity. And that's, again, learning. I don't want to be burned out. I don't want to add to, you know what, I'm already doing well 100% and give, give like 10% to this project. But somebody donated, big ups to Poe Savea, Samoana class of 1996. You and Uriah just born. Forrest and I was like at the ball. Yeah, at the bar. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Shout out Poe. Brown girl woke vice president, PR yeah. person. So he's from class of Samoana 1996 and they donated the first water tank. And from there it went crazy. And then just the awareness telling people like, that's how much people need water. Like they use it for all these things. And if they don't have it, imagine what they had to go through. So uh, from last year to this year, we've almost got 20 water tanks. Big up Victoria in Utah, who's a real estate agent, who every time she sells a house, she buys a water tank. And she freaking, she ate. So she sold eight uh, she houses. Sells houses. She right. sells houses. You know what I mean? So big ups to her for just choosing us as, as, as one of her causes. That's and hard, bro. That's so, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, and that's the goal, right? To get right. there, to be, yeah. to be able to do that. So yeah, it's been amazing. How much uh, do one of those water tanks cost? What is the damage on those? So a water tank is manufactured in Samoa. It's also, um, we have three and only one of them is a Samoan local um, business, which is who we go to. It's Tank Guy. They also give water tanks to American Samoa because I think the Craigs are also there. So it's the Craigs family. Nice. They're a big Mormon family. They're American Samoa and Samoa. We work with them and um, it's 2,500 for the tank that we give and it's a 2,000 liter one, but that comes with the little house that if they... To and catch the water. To catch the water if the if the families don't have a stable home with a roof. And then it goes more it gets bigger and bigger from there, but we just do the two thousand liter. What are uh if people are interested and touched by your story and interested in donating, what are some ways they can get funding to you? So definitely go onto our website, brongrowoke.co backslash uh donate or backslash 
groceries or box slash uh, water tanks and it'll go straight into our PayPal or our Venmo. We also do a grocery project um, that also became bigger. And I think, you know, when you guys talking about like, I have a lot of different things going on. It's me trying to make sure that it gets bigger. So we started with groceries and now we have a food bank and it's the food first, bank. you know food. what I mean? Because yeah. always next level. It's not me trying to like do a billion things. I have the same projects, but what can I make it better? So like, you know, the water tanks is definitely something that's sustainable and, you know, to develop our countries, like always thinking like that, what's going to be sustainable and what's going to develop our people. So water tanks is 10 years. That's going to develop our, our people. Groceries, it can only last so long. We have, we live on an island. I know people are like, why, why do you even have a grocery project? They live on land. And I always tell them like, okay, it's like owning a house. You got to maintain it. Just because we own land don't mean we could buy the seeds or have yeah. the water to grow the plants or can take care of it. Not a lot of people have plantations. I mean, you go to American Samoa, you don't see no farmer's market. I don't even know anyone that does plant. I don't even think Forrest does. Um, I do plants, but... Uh... <laughs> Whoa, tell me more. <laughs> well, uh, that's a whole other episode. That's a but, whole know... other way to make money for <laughs> the island grassroots yeah that's grassroots <laughs> no definitely people hit me up and just again with the scams like why why are we doing groceries when they live off the land i'm like okay i don't know if you guys be watching too much goddamn movies but <laughs> but and not everyone got a cow that they can kill or raise <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't have just have pigs running around outside there yeah. okay shoot that one <laughs> no. for real I, get, I can't believe in 2021 i still get these get these type of questions and that just shows that we don't have this bridge from the island to america where our kids are still listening to those stories like i see with tiktok i'm like dang they still talking about stuff that happened 500 years ago yeah exactly there is I think like, that's, uh, the misconception between the people here is that People back home can just live off the land. Like, why do they need money? Why Why are they getting funded from programs here? And they think that it's just easy to live off the land. Like, if they were to move home, they could go fish and uh, plant stuff, and they'd be okay. Like, okay, try it. I promise, <laughs> it's not that easy. Try it. Yeah, it's not try easy. It. <laughs> climate change, real motherfucker, is like the water is not the same. The sand's nope. not the same. The land's not the same. So when people go fish. They don't fish like it used to be. Like you could just fish right there and you could get a hundred. You know what I mean? You don't Off even need to dock. go eat. You got to go all the way out now. Yeah, you gotta go all the way out there. We don't have the boats for that. And we don't have the equipment for that. And yeah. that's change. And even like, so when people say stuff that like that to me, I'm like, man, I don't even have the time. Like, it's not the same. Like my dad comes back and he's like looking for all these type of fishes that he used to eat. We don't even <laughs> have them. No. You know what I mean? Um, he was, you know, in Samoa, he remembers uh doing the oh my god now i forgot the coconut for oil what's it called copra yeah oh yeah he was telling me he was like man back because my dad hasn't been back home for, for 40 years so he's more new zealand and like he grew up in samoa raised in new zealand so when he came to samoa a few years ago to see me he was like man when i was a kid coconuts were just like everywhere like you could hit your head i was like oh wow that's crazy and it's just from a lot of people coming to our country taking all our plants colonialism, climate change. So no, people, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. So all the, all the colonialists and all those people that came and took all that, they made money off the island and dipped? Yep. Pretty much. Oh, my gosh. Like what they usually do. Systems for themselves. 
And yeah. Tick, 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 and go to the and next. You said with the natives and the, the Hawaiian community, when they finally got their laws and got their land back, they gave them the, the land that fucking sucked. You know what I mean? Like they took yeah. over the, you know what I mean? If they you see the homestead lands in Hawaii, they're yeah. probably unlivable, really. Yeah. Really. It's late for them to finally get their land back. It's, yeah. And they, with their reservations, like they do casinos, but yeah, you want to go do a casino on the highest, but you know what I mean? You walk out yeah. on your, so definitely, you know, to all the people that don't understand what happens with colonialism, read a book, not TikTok. <laughs> Don't, don't watch a movie that they made. Is uh, is Samoa considered a third world country? Um, so, so Samoa is considered a third world country. That's why we have UN in Samoa, United Nations. Hmm. I mean, so, I think that's know, I think that's something people forget or don't know about Samoa, right? They think it's paradise. It's a beautiful island in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean, right? That and also like, goes to the fact that people um, Samoa, yeah, but. I think American Samoa is more visible to a lot of the people here. So when they think about Samoa, they're mainly thinking about American Samoa, which should also be labeled a third world country because of the uh, medical wise there. They yeah. definitely should be a third world country because of medicine. But I think that's why people, well, when they hear Samoa, they think American Samoa, not two different countries. Mm, okay. I think that's why people be asking too. You're saying those stupid questions, right? It's like, man, do you, you don't even you haven't been you haven't even been exposed to American Samoa or Samoa. <laughs> so like that because we got a McDonald's and uh, and an L and L on the island. You go, oh, bet they got it good, bro. What you mean? I, I got an L and L's down the way. McDonald's is over this way. Man, you guys are good, bro. Like what? <laughs> what? What do you mean y'all need help? What I else do you mean? <laughs> right. It's like uh, I think that's the that's the reason you know a lot of people are. Ne- I don't want to say uneducated, but aren't exposed to it, right? It's like they only see what's at face value, but they don't see what's behind it. It's like, yo, man, when you're taught to depend on that, there's no self-sufficiency. You know what I mean? They took all that. They took all ability to be self-sufficient when they took the crops and made money off the crops and then dipped. And now, too, I remember you were saying, telling me during, like, during the pandemic, um, there were still food shortages, even with people who did grow um Galo and Fai, right? Because people think that oh, that's what poor people eat. But like that's what people, that's what Samoans and Islanders cash out for out here in the States. You know what I mean? Like how that's that's that was super interesting when you were telling me that. Cause like, what? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> oh, my mom and dad will spend so much money at the Fijian store out here to buy all the fai and the frozen kalo, you know what I mean? And like, man, to like to, to think that it, it it's looked at as something that, that poor people are eating, that's a, uh, I can't even, that's that's weird. Even people that do here, that's that's the mindset in the in the islands. Like, oh, you do plantation, your family must be poor. Yeah. You know, by yeah. popo, like those kind of like even words, like oh, you're poor. But man, if your country's eighty percent agriculture, then you just you know you're you're making sure your family's in the next. Right, you're ahead of the game, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> It's gonna come to you, like especially now that there's a pandemic and everything is closed. Everyone's gonna be hell hungry for taro <laughs> when it yeah. opens, and you're gonna be ready for it to um, export it. So, yeah, definitely changing the mindset. You know, a colonialized mind, decolonize your mind is is a huge thing in for people back home in Samoa and American Samoa. People are looking at American Samoa and Samoa, and I think what Forrest said is true. American Samoa should be a third world country too. We don't have we don't have, you guys don't have anything. We take, we take, uh, America takes them out. They take them away. When you take people away, 
who do you leave behind? The elderly. Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to make sure they're set up? And you wonder why there's no changes. Because who's going to change it when you're out there trying to getting killed in the military or playing sports and you make your millions? You usually don't go back. Troy went back, but he's not from American Samoa. You know what I mean? So definitely, like, we can't. Another big thing to me is that we always think it's the white people that help us out. You know what I mean? We always give love to them. Like, it's not our people. It's our people. It's always our people. Your family is your people. Think of it like that. It's not these white institutions that take us out or the military. If anything, it's killing us. We we romanticize a a lot of American history. uh, Because like Forrest said, it's what we were taught. You know, we we grew up with a book written by not necessarily historians, but certain school systems in the South that sell a lot of books. And those books become the education for you know us and it, it's still going hopefully we can break those generational curses but right christopher it, columbus is not a legend yeah <laughs> he's a murderer Man, there's yeah. so there's so much whitewashing in in, in our education and, and lucky to be with you guys who know you know you know specific examples of that and and how that you know it's a uh, from an indigenous people uh colonizers going in kind of change and rewrite the history and man politically in the u.s there's been a lot of rewriting over the last couple years about what is and what isn't wrong or not just morally and ethically speaking about like an example of morals you talk a lot about how your your father um and your mother they're like your biggest examples more so your father because during the time you were raised your mother her style was to not necessarily show that she was doing as much work as your dad, but to, to elevate him. But what are some examples you hope to show? Cause you said seeing them and their love made it easy for you to, to see when people were doing bad and people in relationships were lacking. What are, what are some examples that uh, you can tell us that they did that you hope other generations pick up? Let me just give you props for watching a lot of my different interviews. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was from that one interview. Oh, shit, that was from the other. <laughs> you guys do your research up in here. <laughs> you do. Levasso Sports. <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, just seeing my dad. My dad's a huge example. And I know we don't have, I mean, I always talk about, like, I never really gave a lot of props to my mom because she made it seem like that. She made it like that. She wanted it to be like that because my dad was hardworking. And it wasn't about her teaching me, like, this is how you should. Um, maybe it was her teaching me in without saying it, this is how you should, you know, a man that you should date or someone you should marry. But she never said it. She just always gave him props and always wanted not to look at her for anything. Not thinking she's more example to me than anybody else. She's a woman. So I didn't learn that until later, until, you know, when you when you stop being ungrateful brat <laughs> and you're like, damn, my mom was there the whole time. And I, I really don't appreciate her to the caliber of what she's done. She's the person that comes. My dad, every time he came home from work, the 15, 16 hours that he worked, she's right there making him food. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the same gala that she makes all the time, but it's ready. But my dad, my mom was always there. So we mm-hmm. gotta make sure we have those balances because we teach, that's what we teach our, our women is to always, you know, be submit to men. 
for what reasons and not having those conversations. But we're in the whole, we four generations down, we shouldn't even have these problems and we still have the pro- these problems. Like I'm first generation um, Samoan American. Okay, so like the next few generations that have been here and they still have these problems, it's like, dang, why are we still not speaking up? Why aren't we still teaching them again about, about good characteristics of people? of roles of people, you know, who, what role of father, mother, aunties, uncles. And it's crazy because so much people outside of our culture, our community always like, someone's are so family oriented and we know that, but do we know the roles in our family? You know what I mean? We definitely know that, but do we know the roles and the respect? So yeah, I, I am a daddy's girl, hashtag daddy's girl. <laughs> and, um, and I say that because my dad has always been there for me in the hardest times um, in the good times as well, and just promoting women to to see that, to see like um, not taking people for granted in their their own household, and to always uplift. I don't know where I went, but <laughs> it's hot in Modesto. It's 104, and there's no AC on right now. <laughs> work, work together, have your parents work and, together, and or work together with your partner to do good things. <laughs> there's no ac right now <laughs> oh no oh no that's that's crucial right? uh to um hear you talk about decolonizing the mindset right and changing the mindset i remember us talking one time you, you said you're listening to a lot of james baldwin lately some other uh you're heavily inspired by like the uh black activists and authors civil rights leaders and it's dope to see you following in those footsteps right as far as your inspiration right uh who are some of your i guess favorite authors civil rights activists that you follow, that you try to emulate? Who are some of those people that inspire you the most or that keep you going? Um, again, like, um, I always look at history because, you know, if we don't know our history, it repeats itself, right? So definitely, you know, we must have been going through this, you know, before. And just looking at other communities, I, you know, I couldn't find enough information or, you know, books on our own people. So the uh, Black community has always been something I always... Uh, watch, listen, and read. So Malcolm X and, you know, like people like that, all his books, everything that t- that he even like, all his interviews, you know what I mean? Even uh, James Baldwin, like all his interviews, I watch it all on YouTube or even like, even Martin Luther King. They were all great speakers for me. So, and they're all male. Like I could probably think of a few female, but to be real, that's who I always listen to and I watch because I want one day for our community to be like that, that we do marches. Like we're still not there. We see other um, minorities, maybe the same size or even less doing marches. And I haven't seen us do that. So I try to see like, what are they doing that I can can set it up where we start pushing on, like talking about the, you know, D's of session one day. One day it's going to be, I mean, one day soon, people are going to come in and take over American Samoa or what's happening in Samoa too. So um, definitely like reading people that, um, make you want to do more work or examples of, again, like I said, what did they do that I can do or I can emulate to change a whole community? Female representation and empowering uh, young women in your, in your career, in your history, and the data that you've collected uh, from villages what are, what are some things that uh, we as Polynesian men can do to show up more for uh, Polynesian women? Uh, start dating us, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. 
Ooh. I think we've tried. Relationships. <laughs> Force. I think we've tried. <laughs> you guys are hell laughing. <laughs> My girlfriend is a uh, white American. Full disclosure, but I'm listening. <laughs> Next thing you know, the internet turns out finance. <laughs> um, no, I'm not just. I was just playing, <laughs> but no, definitely uh, making sure um, to promote us more, our value. Like we see each other, you know, um, in different, like uh, in different levels, like, you know, at the church, you know, instead of like knowing that girls always got to serve, serve with them. You know what I mean? In our own like stuff, you see the girls outside, be with them, like, and promote that and like encourage them. And be like, I see you. Like, <laughs> and just being woke about it, just educating yourself more. Like I said before, we're our own advocates, we're our own best advocates too. And then if we don't even know that we're supposed to even like uplift our, our the women in our community, then you wonder why you guys date outside the race. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. But no, definitely making sure that the spaces that you, and you guys have been doing it. I've seen you guys, you had uh Rena, like you guys have this space where it's sports. It's PI, you know, guys, and you think that it's going to be you guys, but you guys are making space for women to do their stories. So definitely you guys are already doing the work. Continue to do the work. And me, and we, me and Will had this conversation the other day, and I was, we both agreed that, I mean, I don't know if I know any stronger woman than a Samoan mother, just the things that she has to deal with. Like you said, too, I mean, Samoan women are taught to always be behind your husband. You know, I mean, do the things that's going to set your husband up for success. And sometimes uh, it trickles down into them not saying anything about the things that are going wrong in the marriage or the family. And then later on in life, you know, I mean, a lot of us Samoan men realize that all the stuff that your mom had to deal with growing up. And then you finally realize as you get older, hey, your mom's a gangster. You know what I mean? With <laughs> your mom is a G. You know like, what I mean? You know, and then she tells you stories. It's like, dang, yep. that was when dad was right here talking to his whole family you were in the back getting burned you know by the oven you know what i mean like exactly and, uh, yeah so stood by your man and made sure that everyone was taken care of and went home and i slept good not knowing that you had all this other things going against you so yeah definitely we know these stories we got to make sure that we don't forget them and make mm -hmm. value to that and any girl that we see like give them props amen continue to tell these stories and and represent and show other people that think that they're alone that they're not that it's it's you know unfortunately some of these situations are common and you know you other people that you can reach out to that can relate directly to your experiences when you feel like especially as a culture we talked about this shame on the family so shut up you know hey don't don't talk about that and a very interesting quote from one of your other interviews is you had an uncle say, you know, when speaking your truth was saying, hey, why'd you say, you know, it was one of your uncles because someone's going to hear that and it's going to think it's me. And like. It's not about you, uncle, yeah. it's about yeah. the person, mm -hmm. who, the victim. And, <sighs> and that just goes back to what we're saying, like. We know that when we represent ourselves, 
we represent our families and our families see the same thing. You know what I mean? They put that on us. Yeah. It's not like we just have this idea, like I ain't going to talk because I represent my family. Your family also going to, they're going to be like, how dare you speak up? You know what I mean? How dare you talk about us? We're not saying it just because we think our family, you know, we represent, we represent our family. They'll come for you. And they're like, oh, how can you say that without making sure it was okay with us? It's like, dang, it's just abused. Now I got to think about all this. And like, you know, lucky when my uncle did that, I was super healed. You know what I mean? And it, it just happened last year. You know what I mean? Like not even that long ago. And I've been doing my story for like 10 years now. So imagine other girls that go through that and see that happen to me. And it, and it happened in front of a few people. They're not going to want to speak out. Mm. They're going to be like, I got to go through this. If I speak out, I might as well just keep it to myself. That's it. Yeah, that's definitely not something we want other, uh, the future generations to believe that they have to go through it alone or they have to continue to stay silent because that silence just continues to let the predators continue to do what they're doing and really good point actually you brought up uh you would uh kind of you would put these people on blast when when girls would come with their stories you would put their their photos up because if we're not going to have a sex you know sex offender registry in Samoa we're going to at least communicate to the community hey be on the lookout for this because you know in me and Eri we've been working in clubs and nightclubs for the last couple of years we see some really shitty dudes yeah. no, you have to like um even with that conversation i remember somebody trying to argue with me like you ain't the justice system to post them up you know what if that's gonna you know what if that causes you know uh the family of the victim to go kill them and i said man we've been posting about stories for so long ain't nobody killed nobody yet you know what i mean like nothing has happened like it's so it's almost it's almost so calm you know it's so it's so normalized like that nobody mm. does scary and for me well i'm not gonna tell somebody that i don't i'm not just gonna put you out without making sure the story is true you know what i mean like the person that we've put out was like there were six people you know what i mean like there's 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 more than one person that spoke out and that we got to make sure that this person's still walking around like he's gonna go to the next village and that's another thing with the systems that we talk about that are broken like some of the villages just kick them out what you think he's gonna do that to the next village right, like right. start speaking and communi communicating to each other when we have meetings and we don't have meetings with the whole you know the, all the matais in the whole island we don't have that kind of system no more but mm -hmm. imagine if we did and we really talked to each other like hey give me that list of people that you know that we know the people in our village that um to make sure that they're okay. So definitely a lot of people don't talk because they don't know resources, they don't know what to do, and they just think it's something that happens over and over again and just just stay it, just don't do nothing about it. Okay, so what do you guys think as well? We talk about those that were uh, are being abused or that were going through something to speak up. And we also talk about how difficult that is, but what are some specifically Pacific Islander mechanisms in our community that keep it so that predators can walk around without you know people talking about what they've been doing what keeps people silent and how can we change that like i said the old boys network i mean there's a lot of old men in samoa and american samoa that they're predators and they, it's always been that way and they keep it that way so i mean it's our job to change it like 
Doris said. She's and that's what she's trying to do. But it's so like Doris said, it's it's so uh normalized that these people who've been doing it, they're older now, older men, uh, a lot of them are in power. They keep it that way. Because they want to keep it that way. And then going back to what Doris said, as a it's a community-based uh culture, you don't want to put shame on your family. So a lot of it is that shame for being a victim or shame for being an abuser. Both. So if if you if your family has an abuser in the family, you don't want to put that out and have people be like, man, that's from their family. You know I also mean? don't want them eating next to me. True. True. But that's just the culture that they created back home. Uh, Eri, what are uh, some reasons you think people stay silent? It's tough for me, Brad. I, I want to like. Solving the problem for me is just throwing hands with them. You know what I mean? Like if they had a, a, a visceral fear of, oh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get their hands put on me. Fact is stupid. You know what I mean? I, I think you should start there when I know violence is not, not, that's not the answer. Right. But I don't know. I just, I don't like the fact that, yo, they've been comfortable this whole time. And you get comfortable, you get reckless, you get sloppy. And then it becomes so blatant that now we're talking about it and it's so prevalent. Right. But like, how do we make them not feel comfortable, bro? You know what I mean? Like, I press that issue every time. Like, don't, don't, don't let them think it's normal. Don't let them think it's cool. Think one thing my older brother Vod told me, bro, is it's, it's a uh, the green light. <laughs> it's this just growing up in the hood, bro. When it's green oh, light, oose, it's uh when it's green light, oose, it's anytime, every time, anywhere, everywhere. You know what I mean? And <laughs> that that was originated from a place of violence, but I think. We could try to push it towards a more peaceful alternative as far as anytime, every time, anywhere, everywhere. You know, it doesn't have to be these hands, you know. Uh I think it could be accountability anytime, <laughs> anywhere, you know. Uh therapy anytime, every anywhere, every time. Therapy. Any, you know what I mean? Therapy like, green light, <laughs> communication green light. Is that a Modesto thing? Red light, green light. I, I don't know, bro. It's just this is all green light. Thing. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's just a me thing. I don't know. Two two knows the green light. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just so weird. Like, really? <laughs> it, that definitely sounds like a John a couple thing too. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> hey, shout out John, Queen B. What else we got? Really, we already touched on so much things about why our community lets this happen, and it's it's definitely because we let it happen because it happened to us. It happened to them and we didn't do nothing and we're so used to it. And like, why am I going to change it now? And we've made it almost like a rite of passage, which is scary that this could be a common discussion amongst could like, oh, nigga, you got raped too? Me too. It's like, oh, your cousin, your uncle, like it's never really outside the family, right? It's always like in the family, it's always at the home. So like just to put data, because you're into data, 90% of people that have been abused are abused at home. They know they're abusing 90% of the time. These are yeah. the stats, 90, 90. You know what I mean? Like, that's great. If we know it's at the home and we know it's our family, and I even go back to always talking about Once We're Warriors and I wish we make another movie that talks about the kind of stuff because it's exactly what has happened to me and so many that even though, like, we touched on it with um, the Mile High Club, big ups to the girls and Carson, how, like, a lot of, like, male ma- males know their homies kind of off. But don't say nothing. You know what I mean? They see like that the things that they do, 
you know, they bring in high school girls and like, uh, bruh, that's not your little sister. You know what I mean? Like you see the the red flags, but you don't say nothing because they ain't none of my business. And that's not only happening um, in like with friends, but in our community. You know what I mean? Like even with our people and different in those systems, like we talk about those broken systems, nobody's accountable for each other no more. We just think that, hey, my family, you know what I mean? That let that kid do what he's doing, let that, whatever happens, that has nothing to do with me. When it used to be about everybody, everyone was in your business. Like I remember I, used to get, I could get beat by anybody. You know what I mean? My aunt could beat me up. But now with these kids, I can't even hit their little, these little brats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's different. Because we take about, you know, we think about what happened to us and like, oh, I'm never going to let that happen to my kid. But really think about, did you deserve that discipline? You probably did. And they were just looking out for you. The same thing as we talk about sexual abuse. If that happened to you and, and you can stop it or from someone else, try to figure out, you're not, we don't have the answers. That's why you, you, you let it go. We're not going to have the answers, but we can find people that have the answers. You know what I mean? We could have someone come in and speak mm -hmm. for it. Red, uh, red flags in uh, relationships or like, say, and you're probably going to see this if you're in the relationship, but I'm thinking uh, from the perspective of a, of a friend that wants to help. Uh, and maybe they don't notice, but what are some red flags in your friend's relationship um, that you should be aware of? Yeah, see me or you guys, trio. <laughs> you guys as well, red flags in relationships. Oh, man. Toxic, I mean, manipulative. If you're speaking like, so... I guess I'm going to do this on the podcast. Um, I recently, over December, I mean, I don't know if you follow my page. It is pretty uh, positive, but uh, in December, I had a friend. We knew each other for a while. Uh, we had, like, a relationship for about maybe three months, and then she left, and she got married. Her husband's in the military, Polynesian. She called me November and told me she was in, uh, getting abused. And I mean, I should have saw the signs, like she was making excuses for him. Um, she stopped doing normal things that she used to do. She also had a daughter. Um, I was trying to get her out of whatever she was in, you know, doing all uh, whatever I could. Uh, I paid for tickets for her and her daughter to leave him, stuff like that. And so another sign is uh, she would always say like, okay, it's cool now. You know what I mean? Always making excuses. It's cool now. Don't worry. We're good. Uh, so finally, one night in December, she called me. So she was ready to leave. She was getting herself ready to leave. And I get a call like three in the morning, the next, like that morning from her mom, only because my phone number was the last phone number in her phone. Uh, her husband shot her and shot her daughter. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just just those signs, just the little signs, man. She's making excuses or um, if she's not, if she stops doing certain things that you know she likes to do, um, she stops going to places she stops going to, and she has no real excuse of why she's doing those stuff, Definitely something's going wrong back home, you know? Definitely. 
And if, if you're not, I mean, you just got to be in tune, really. And especially if it's someone close to you, you'll, you'll know the signs. If they're really that close to you and they're coming to you for help, you'll know the differences from when the abuse started, you know, and all these things changing from when they started getting abused. Damn, brother. I'm sorry. No, yeah. Yeah, that's tough, man. I, mean, I hope you're doing not that's, working that's through too it. tough to do with huh? Yeah. 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 We'll get through it for sure. And we're yeah, we're which is why I, I, yeah, this is this is this is perfect. You guys hit me at the perfect time, man. So this is like therapy for me to be with the two of you and then get to talk to people like Doris. Doris Two's man, I don't even know Doris by Doris. I know her by two. You know, Two's been one of my best friends for the longest time, I can tell you. Two see me through some really, really rough patches. So, I mean, but she's always been there for me. And you have to have, like, like I said, you have to have people like uh, two in your life, two of you, you know. Um, and to that, too, I mean, I know we're still talking about the, the, the red flags, but I always feel like instead of teaching our women to not get abused or to get out of a relationship like that, you got to teach our men, our boys to not do those things. Yeah. If we're teaching them that it's not okay to do that, then they'll know it's not okay to do that. It's not a cycle anymore. You'll break that cycle. They don't. They don't. They don't get taught enough. Like two said, you know, we don't teach them that. Like it's a rite of passage almost. So we start teaching our young men that it's not okay to do that. You know, you don't have to teach them like treat all these women like your sister. Treat them with respect. That's all you have to do is treat them with respect. Mm. A lot of our young men, a lot of our Polynesian young men don't do that because they think it's a joke. You know what I mean? They're taught that women are there really to make their babies and do their chores pretty much. That's yeah. uh, That's got to change. That's it's definitely, definitely got to be a, a mindset that, that we get out of. But also that shows, hopefully we can get more perspectives, but that shows kind of where yeah. we are as Polynesian men. Because my question was, how can we protect women? When really it's how can we teach young men not to be pieces of shit? Yeah. Or to to handle their maybe they were abused as children to get to heal through that so you don't push it out on other people especially people that as a man you should be helping provide and protect. There's a slogan like um, it's not about protecting our daughters but teaching our sons. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of that pushing on like unfortunately like in Samoa like there's so much funding going towards women instead of that. So we've been trying to you know change the narrative like dude most it's it's like 80 percent men that usually are the abusers so we need yeah. more work with them we need to make sure that they're also getting therapy and not just putting them in prisons but making sure that there's therapy and that they change and they understand what they did wrong because sometimes they don't even know that what they did wrong because they're so they've been raised in this you know what i mean yeah. raised that and not knowing again the roles of your family and who you who people are in their lives and the respect that you're supposed to give uh, I love you so much for us, you know, sharing that with us. It's not easy. And I've lost, you know, a lot of youth myself. Losing one is a lot. You know what I mean? It is. Mm. It is. You had to realize, like, okay, so what What can I do next? And, like, I think with me, I lost somebody in American Samoa two years ago. And I was like, dang, did I? And that's why I promote safety, like, your safety net. Like, I made sure I was safety net. I don't live in American Samoa. You know what I mean? Like, and I was so cool with that, like me being her safety net. But you got to make sure there's somebody there 
when you leave. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Don't make it that easy for yourself. Like, oh, just hit me up. But like when they need you there, I can't just fly on, you know, fly over or anymore because someone, American Samoa um, during COVID, but making sure that they have someone as well that that's there, that's on the ground and making sure that we bring more people to this discussion and not just having it just, you know, me and them. So yeah, a lot of learning. I'm sure you learned a lot, Forrest, and I hope you know it's not your fault. Definitely, and it's too early. It's, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. So I know you're still in. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm dealing with right now. But I mean, like you said, I'm learning. So it's a lot of learning. <laughs> this was the uh, transformative social justice. Like a lot of people, especially the black community, when they're, someone died in their family and they become like these leaders, they call it transformative. You know what I mean? Like you transform like trauma into social justice. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what we're doing right now. You know what I mean? Right. Like maybe think about it, but like, damn, I need to put this in the forefront. Like, what can I do next so that this doesn't happen? And in our community, domestic violence is huge. And I think most of us agree. And I, I think Doris, especially talking about these uh, taboo issues amongst uh, like-minded people is going to help normalize that conversation and, and bring it out of the shadows really to the forefront where we can see it and deal with it and you know really put our mental health and and the way that these things uh, affect us into into perspective so that we can be fortunate enough to work on healing uh, from that but yeah definitely not feeling like it's your fault yeah no i mean like i, I if you watch my other podcast i always say that one thing we do we always blame ourselves mm. blame the, blame that you know what i mean he's the one yeah. that shot what kind of make sure that we don't build more or more of him more have more of him what was the science right. that he has so that's yeah. what i felt like i'm gonna make another person the fucking uncle bullies no more you know what no, i mean no yeah any of us that normalize it by, you know, by calling them like, you know, we all have the Mokolo uncle, right? Like Amen. we call that, but it's real. We use Amen. these language real. So, you know, for me, I, I hope for you, Forrest, like you don't blame yourself, blame that fool and be like, how can I make sure that we billion no more of these type of men? Hey, love and light. So love and light, man. Amen. Amen. Maybe later, I mean, people in your organization can start something for the men, for the young men. You know what I mean? You, brown girl woke. You can call it brown boy broke because that's what <laughs> Hey, brown guy broke. They were broke. Guy broke. No, it's they're so funny. Most of, the, most of the speakers in my group are, are young men and I and they're very vocal. Like they're very intelligent, very vocal. And I always explain to the young girls that they don't feel like, man, how are they like, they're so like, um, they're, it's so easy for them to speak and they're articulate. And I said, remember, we've lived in a very patriarch country like you aren't ever open to these spaces, but you're you're you are now, and you're not gonna be ready right now. But when you are, it's gonna blow up. So just keep on learning and keep on uplifting each other. So most of my main speakers are young young male, and they're like lawyers in the University of South Pacific, and they're amazing. But they're good at speaking because we always made spaces for young men to speak, mm-hmm. and it's, and using them to advocate for women, and then making sure that they they're they're about it not advocating for women and then have like a secret abusive relationship. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I do that. Sometimes we make people in these spaces and then just more trauma and, and, and triggers. Cause it's like, dang, that, that person's advocating for domestic violence, but I know what he does at home. Right. It's like, make sure that the right people are in the right places and the right spaces. 
It, it got to be a positive feedback loop. Yeah, I mean that loop. But, uh, yeah, also pr- practicing practicing what you preach, providing that education to provide that safe and, and good future, but also following through and making sure they practice uh, what they're talking about. That's uh, representation and transparency that is big, especially in, I, I'd assume in nonprofits that uh, right. you got to be that you got to be that all the time. You know, what I mean, like you're not just an advocate when you on a podcast, you're not just an no. advocate you know, on a headline or, or, or Twitter right. post, bro. Like you, you got to take that home. Like you got to take that, you got to take that back to the hood. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's all I, like, I was like related to, it's like, yo, bro, like how do, how does, how does your neighborhood see you? You know what I mean? Like, we know when people always ask, oh, what they call you, where you from? Like, do, do the people who actually fuck with you, fuck with you? You know what I mean? And like, yeah, man, it's a, it's a tough process, man. Shoot. What is, uh, is to your uh, like first name? It's my pimp your family name. name? Ooh. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Access to O's. It's a K game. Let me tell you guys. Before I came on, Uri was like, "Oh yeah, it's um, you know Lavasa Sport." I'm like, "Oh yeah, cool." I was talking about sport, and he was like, "What sport?" I said, "The game, nigga." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Uh, no." <laughs> He's like, "No." <laughs> I said, force now, force now. <laughs> me, and two, me and two used to have weekly conversations wherever she was, whether she was at Sac State, we were both at UH, we'd have weekly conversations about this. <laughs> That's uh, why I said, no, I'm putting you on. Damn. It's unfortunate that my little brother's on this podcast. So, you <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh. That's my pimp name. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's my middle, it's my one name. So, Anybody, I mean, my family name. So anybody that's really, really close to me, they'll say that name. Like, you know, everyone has that. I think everyone has that name. Yeah. So definitely hear anyone say two, they they had to have been very close to me. And I'm one of those people, like, you call me two and I don't know you. I'm like, uh, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, be real. It's either two or princess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? First. Let me go through your. <laughs> oh no! What they call what they call you Big can. Forest? Hey, what they call you? Where you from, Forest? What they call you? Where you from? I was two was wingman. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, two with the two with the good hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last couple of questions. What we got? Man, I got everything I wanted to ask out the way. Shoot. We got a we got a lot of, we got a lot of stuff in there. You know, like, I have a question too. I'm moving home in a little bit, man. I'm gonna come see you. I need a job. Oh yeah, come through. Yeah, come I'm to- gonna be when you make it to Parliament. I'll be your personal bodyguard. <laughs> Security. I'll, oh. Security. I'll be your driver. Oh. I can just imagine Forrest like <laughs> <laughs> brown brown girl woke doing community work, providing water tanks for families in need. You guys are, have grown your grocery uh, donation to a food bank. Do you need like freezers, refrigerators? What do you need for that? What more do you need? Can we tell people to send to you? Yeah, um, you could definitely go on our website and it gives you all the information. Please don't give me your old clothes and your <laughs> and your New trash of garbage that I send over to some all the time. And like, I, I understand, but we got clothes in Samoa. We really do. <laughs> and, um, no, because I always do, when I come back, or I always have containers, at least 
four or five a year. And as much as I put on the flyer what we need, we need adult diapers, we need wipes, we need uh, diapers for babies, things like that. Um, definitely um, funding, we need monetary funds, which is always really hard again with our community not trusting where their money goes, but we are very transparent. You can check out all our social media. We make sure to show you where we, we give them food every month and there's no way that that's coming, but that's coming from any other source but private funding because grants do not pay for humanitarian aid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they only pay for projects. Like, you know what I mean? So definitely uh, with the water tanks, you could, I even tell people, if you don't trust me, I'll give you the water tank. You can find the company on our website, their phone number, their address. You don't even need to give it to me. You could give the money straight to them. The only thing with us is that we make sure it goes to the family that we've been working with and making sure that um, we do more than just a water tank. So any family that gets a water tank from us, they're also in our projects of getting groceries throughout the year because these are vulnerable families. Just because they got water, they also need food and that will help them to try to sustain themselves or self-efficient to go get a job so they don't have to worry about so much things at home. Helping people get the necessities they need to, to build up and build better and so that the next generation can really do more than, than the foundation that we laid. I really hope this isn't the last time we get to talk to you. We're very thankful that uh, you've given us so much time today. I know you've been super busy with all the promotion and stuff, but just one more time, if people want to donate to you, how can they find you? Again, www.browngirlwoke.co backslash donate and you'll see all the different projects you can donate to you can always hit us up on brown girl Woke on facebook and instagram and our whole team's on there so if you message we always respond but not if you're messaging to do other things <laughs> leave them in the requests yes leave it there leave it there <laughs> what'd you guys uh, learn today with our guest uh nah man uh, biggest takeaway is the uh getting your mental you know like up to par in shape, you know what I mean? It's uh, be ready to do the work. Don't think it's easy. I think that's one of my biggest takeaways uh, from you too, since you've been visiting home, man. It's just that like, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Not much of a payoff, except the fact that you are building for, you're building for benefits of the next generation that you will not even see. You know what I mean? I don't know what the Alangahupu is, but like, it's uh, you plant the tree for like the next generation, right? You don't, you don't, you don't plant the tree so you can, be satisfied with it in your lifetime you plant the seeds knowing that it's going to be a beautiful thing for the next people and man that's uh, that kind of perspective is super it's uh it's really that's that's a tough thing right because then two the biggest thing I've, I've been learning from you is like yo bro just be a just be a hustler talk that shit when you go meet with these people and you plan your stuff don't let them bully you you know what i mean and uh i like that energy that's that's almost like a wolf of wall street but with like with non-profit like hey bro like, i know what i'm doing bro like you know what i mean like it's telling people like yo i'm here to do the work i'm not here to satisfy anybody or you know what i mean like appease other people that are that ain't in it for the right reasons man doing good work to our fucks with you it's green light it was- <laughs> that's great i mean hopefully that when people see you too they'll know that this isn't a part-time thing and if you're going to get into it you got to be committed and be committed to the long journey not that short journey it's a long journey you know and like you said there'll be some times where you want to give up but you really got to stay committed and you got to 
just really believe in what you're doing. And, you know, you are the blueprint for that. Uh, I was telling Dez, um, Dez Ali, and I know you work with Dez, that she paved the way, like when we were talking, she's paved the way for a lot of people who are trying to do the things they do. And you've done that for, um, man, I can't tell you how much you're doing. If you don't see it and if people don't tell you, you know what I mean? Come back to us. We'll remind you how much good you're doing. Man, I brought, I've been riding with you forever. So, I, you know what I mean? From the beginning, I've seen things and just so proud of you. I mean, and you don't even need to hear that from people because I know you carry yourself. The way you carry yourself is you know that the work you're doing. So you don't need uh, affirmation from people because you know what you're doing. It is always good to hear them. <laughs> so I... Man, I'm so proud of you. Every time I jump on the computer, uh, my phone, and I see you doing something, I mean, it's, it gives me pride. Like, if I'm telling people, like, man, yeah, yep, that's my friend. That's, yep. you know what I mean? I can tell people that and just so excited. But I hope that people know that you're about it. You know what I mean? You, you're, you're committed. You weren't out there. You weren't out there just to go back there and do something, tell people that you're doing it. You know what I mean? You're you're actually putting in the work and there are people who are probably alive today because of you. You know, there's not too many people that can say that. So anytime you need anything, you all you gotta do is say the word. That's a green, green light. That's a green light. Oh <laughs> I, I love you. Whatever skills, whatever skills we have, uh, they're definitely for uh, yours for whatever you need. We're a huge fan of you and the work you do and the organization and the changes you are making and the generational curses that you are breaking. Um, and just want to say thank you again for, for sharing your experience with us here on this episode. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I love you, guys. Thank you, too. Love you, too. Today's show, as always, sponsored by LivasaIslandApparel.com. For gear that represents the South Pacific Island languages and cultures accurately and responsibly. Put on for the culture. Catch the wave at LivasaIslandApparel.com.